In this episode, I was joined by Cast AI co-founder, Laurent Gill. Laurent is a serial entrepreneur. He's the business and product side in his own words. We talk about how important it is to have the right people around you in your founding team. Cast AI is Laurent's fourth business that he has started with the same co-founders. We talk about doing deals on the trade floor of CubeCon Valencia. Such an incredible story. Is AI just a buzzword? We'll find out later in the chat. And we also talk about the brilliant talent that can be found in the software engineering community in Lithuania. As always, I encourage feedback and would love to hear from you. Reach me via LinkedIn or on joe.bignall at interquestgroup.com. And Laurent also gives his contact details at the end of this episode. Enjoy. So hello, everybody, and uh, welcome back to another episode of DevOps for Everyone. This has been a long time coming. I'm very happy to welcome Laurent to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Very well, Joe. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Not a problem. And I appreciate you jumping on even more so because where is it you are? I'm in San Francisco today. I'm yeah. so happy to be back in, in Silicon Valley. I live in Miami, so it's nice to be uh, back in California from time to time. You've gone from sunshine to sunshine. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> Something that's quite a rarity here in London. <laughs> How's uh, Before we jump in, we're recording this right in the middle of KubeCon Europe. So uh, how's KubeCon been for you guys? It's, it's incredible. It's, um, so it's a, it, I think it's a first large conference in Europe for Kubernetes or for Cloud Native uh, since COVID started. And what is, what is amazing, we see a lot of um, people coming, including from the US, from Israel, from all over Europe. And it's very unusual. We are actually meeting uh, application, application teams, Kubernetes application teams from, from very large companies at KubeCon. And we're doing deals on the, on the trade, trade show, like in real time. Like, we, you know, I've never seen that before. We, <laughs> we are showing the product. We're showing a demo and how we can reduce cost. Uh, for Kubernetes, for this Kubernetes application, sometimes we do a demo directly on the application of the client on the trade show, like on the floor. They give us access to their application. It's usually on Amazon or Google or Azure, and we show the instant cost savings that they may have on these apps. And then the next question say, how much does it cost, and how soon can we have it? <laughs> I, it I've never seen it like this, so it's it's really good time um, to be a, in a trade show right now. So you're actually doing deals at KubeCon. That's brilliant. That's fantastic. I, I look forward to the one in the US. I think it's in uh, a little bit before the end of the year in Detroit. Oh uh, yeah, KubeCon is nice because you have uh, you have teams that come from the Kubernetes world. It's open source, so you see kind of see what people are doing. People are talking about and using containers using Kubernetes. Um, so it's very refreshing to see uh, so many people coming in uh, and real developers. Right? These are these are it. It is a developer show, so it's very interesting to see and interact with them. Yeah, so, it's the everyday like, user, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, Laurent, just before we we jump in and uh, go for a couple of questions, I wanted to ask you: Do you want to just give the people listening a bit of a, a high level overview of who you are and who Cast AI is? Yeah, yeah. thank you, Joe. So yeah, my name is Laurent. I'm one of the founder of the of um, the company. It's called Cast AI. Um, this is actually the fourth company I do. 
um, with the same founders, the same co-founders. So we've been a group of friends and we, we, we know each other for a very, very long time. My first startup was um, called Viewdoll. It was actually based in the Ukraine. I had a fantastic team in Kiev. Um, that was a long time ago. That was in 2007. Um, then we got acquired by Google in 2012. It was a fantastic story. A lot of uh, great engineers from Ukraine uh, moved to Mountain View at the time. We were doing computational photography. So that means um, we would apply machine learning techniques. We, don't, we were not even called this AI. This, this word didn't exist at the time. Yeah? Artificial intelligence. We were trying to explain what AI is by saying, you see, the machine is learning things. And by learning things, it's, it's able to repeat uh, what it has learned into new problem or new sets of problems. That was a very interesting time where we were explaining what machine learning means. It's like the machine is learning something. Um, uh, yeah, so we were not using these AI words, but we were using these techniques. So we were doing face recognition and object detection in video feeds. And so that interested a little Google because they were they were trying to uh, make uh, the Android camera app a really cool application. It's a long time ago. There's a lot of things that happened after that. Um, we worked a lot also with Motorola that was uh, a subsidiary of Google at the time. So it was mm. really a lot of fun. And then after that, I started another company called ZenEdge, cybersecurity, with the same founders. Um, the, the, the idea was... Um, to use these machine learning techniques. So by now, by the time we were calling them AI, that was the word, uh, the word started to be in, in fashion. So we were using uh, machine learning techniques to detect cyber threats in uh, on web applications. So any API, anything that used HTTPS uh, API websites would be protected by us. We ended up protecting really large companies. That was a lot of fun. We saw a lot of attacks too, uh, sometimes from hackers, other times from bigger organization. Um, and we got acquired by Oracle uh, in 2018. So that became part of uh, Oracle Cloud. Uh, we were powering a lot of, and the team is still there, powering a lot of uh, Oracle Cloud security product. It was also a fantastic ride. Oracle, I have to say, Oracle did a great, great job integrating us in uh, into, uh, into their Oracle Cloud. And then Oracle was doing a big push into the cloud, and you can see the result today. I mean, it's, it's quite exceptional how Oracle was able to change and uh, push to the cloud and, and be a peer to, uh, yeah, it's a smaller peer, but still be a peer to AWS, Google, and Azure, which, is, which was not that easy in 2018. Mm -hmm. So we did this for two years. And then I started CastAI also with the same founders. <laughs> and so the idea of CastAI was the following. At Zenage, to so the the previous one, um, we had a fantastic time with revenues, customers, adding a lot of large organizations, protecting them, uh, some of the largest sports events. I mean, it was really a very, very nice story from uh, uh, the customer side. But there was a big frustration, and frankly, a big failure from us was managing cost on AWS on that side. So I'll tell you the story. Uh, we started that company in 2000. 15, early 2015, we would spend about a thousand, maybe two thousand dollars a month on AWS. It's normal, right? You have 10 engineers, 10 developers, or 15 developers. You know, have a few VMs and some services around it. That's expected. Three years later, so by the time we got acquired by Oracle, that became two million dollars um, on AWS. And the frustration was that we were never able to understand the bill. So, I mean. 
$2 million means you have a bill that is made of 50 pages, right? So it's, it's very, very hard to know um, whether you spend the right amount, whether you spend too much, you don't spend enough. It was also very hard for us to, I think we never really understood the cost of goods sold. Like what's the marginal cost of adding a client into that type of infrastructure? Um, and as a SaaS business, the cost of goods sold is you know, the, the most important financial metric that you have. So that was a frustration. And, and, and frankly, the, the failure we had was not being able to address that issue. Uh, after that, it became, we became part of Oracle. We were using Oracle Cloud. All this disappeared, of course, uh, after the acquisition. But as a startup, as an independent company, it was a very painful time because it was our biggest expense and, and almost like we had no control to it. And that was, that was a frustration. So when we, as soon as we could be available after Oracle, so two years after the acquisition, we, we met again with the same founders and we said, let's, let's build this product that we wish we had at the time uh, that can understand observability. So understand very well where you spend money and then do something about it. So we didn't want this to be just a recommendation tool or a reporting tool. We wanted cast AI. We wanted this idea of cost control to automate optimization of your costs on any cloud provider. So that, no one. And uh, on, the, on the founding team, there's you oh, and... We were four, four founders. So it's really interesting. So between you and those other three guys, is is one of you more commercial? One of you is a, uh, an engineer? One of you is operational? Have you got a real mix of people? Yeah, it, it's exactly like this. And we know yeah. each other so well. Yeah. So we know <laughs> the weakness, we know the good things. Um, I'm, usually, I'm usually the business side um, and the product side. Uh, we have a, a fantastic CTO. Uh, we have a, an incredible orchestrator. He's our CEO. His name is Yuri, a uh, fantastic guy. And and we have another person called Enras who is um, uh, thinking of strategy all the time, product market fit, uh, marketing. So yeah, we we uh, we mix each other very well. It's, it's yeah. hard to do, right? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's days where we are wondering what it is that we're doing. And the other days where we are enjoying adding clients to um, our product. So there's one thing that give, give us a lot of satisfaction is whenever a customer is using us, using our product. Um, this is where, you know, we are. This is one of the best days that happen to us is when we get some clients coming to us. Say, oh, we were using Castia. You guys are doing great. And we were able to do this and this and this. And yeah, as a founder, this is a fantastic time uh, because, you know, that means the product of your work. Um, it's, it's hard to do this, right? The product of hard work um, give results at the end, and that's that's what drives us always. It's it's never about uh, selling the company. It's never about uh, making money from it. Although that's nice to when that happens. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's always about build, building a business. We, we're creating something. We are we are we were frustrated personally by not being able to do cost control, and and therefore we built this the way we wanted to have it or we wish we had it at the time. And then we, we discovered that we were not the only one uh, with this problem. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a good time uh, to be uh, in, in, this, in this area. And you know what, Joe, the, what we hear a lot now is some organizations are starting to be a little bit concerned with inflation, with mm. the fact that the cloud providers could increase their cost. And frankly, if they do increase cost, there's nothing you can do. Like it's not like, oh, I'm on Amazon. I'm gonna move to Google because I don't like you anymore. 
That doesn't happen. You can't move from one place to another. It's very complex to do this. And so um, in, this is why in this time it's so important to at least understand where you spend money and what to do about it, um, especially as cloud providers could, incre could increase their price. Google did it uh, about a month ago on some very limited services. I don't think it had a big impact. Mm. But they increased they increase their cost on storage, on some part of storage on Google Cloud. Um, so yeah, that could happen, um, and we fix this, right? We we optimize. Like the the average cost savings we see is mind blogging. Uh, I'll I'll give you an example. So we have about we have a few thousand applications under management. They're all Kubernetes applications, so it's all containers, cloud native, on AWS, Google, and Azure. And so the average is like this. 44% of the cost of our client comes from machines they absolutely do not use. Just redundant. <laughs> yes, they don't know. It's not just that they, they don't use, meaning the utilization rate of these machines is zero. The <laughs> CPU of this machine is exactly zero. And then the difficulty is, it's not exactly like this. You said, if you have a hundred machine, maybe 50 of these 100 machines are used only 10%. So it's not like, oh, I can shut it down. No, it's actually used by 10%. But the 90% remaining is not used at all. But you are paying for it. You just don't use that capacity. So that number, 44%, it's almost like half of your bill is for something you actually don't use. It's not you don't need. It's you don't use them. Um, so that's the, the average. There's a lot of other, other aspects to it. Um, we that forty-four percent. Sorry, yeah. Lauren. That forty-four percent. Could it not be um, like backup for the clients? No, no, no. It's not even backup. No, no. Statistically, over months, forty-four percent of the stuff you pay for has no usage. Yes, <laughs> I, I know. I'm speechless too. <laughs> so when we see this, uh, we see it instantly because it's 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 what our our AI engine does. It analyzes all these machines and look at mm. the CPU utilization. It looks at each CPU core, right? And that's the key is how much is a CPU used between zero and one hundred percent, and how many of these cores you have in each of these machines. And you multiply this by all the machine you have, and the number is forty four percent of you of poor, or, no, it's 44% of zero utilization of compute capacity. But there are other things, such as on Amazon, there's about 600 different type of VMs, of instances, 600. Which one do you choose? Right. So, and but they don't have the same price. So there are some that use Intel processor. There are others that use AMD. Sometimes AMD is cheaper on AWS, not everywhere, not all the time, but sometimes it is because AMD processor priced differently from Intel processor. Sometimes the quantity of compute is not exactly the same. So you, you, see, you see all these problems that this is why you need an AI engine. The, the difficulty is always to think of how much co compute quantity $1 can bring me over all the 600 machines I can choose from to run my application. That's why it's such a difficult problem to, to make. So switching from one machine to another will bring you, the average is, it brings you about 7% cost savings. So if you can choose one 
machine that is a lower cost compared to the amount of compute quantity you need for this particular application, you can save another 7% of your cost. It's impossible to do by hand. You need mm. an engine that does that because there's no way you can, you know that an M5 or an M5A is a better machine. That's the type of machine on Amazon. So, so about 7% about of your bill can be reduced just by choosing a different VM, a different instance type. Like it does nothing to your business. The, your business is still the same. You're just spending 7% less because you're using some machines that are a little bit lower cost than others. Mm. And then um, the there is another 20% savings that you can use by leveraging uh, highly discounted machines on Amazon or Google or Azure. So they're called spot instance. So there's so many choices, right? Yeah. But the question is, or the question would be, are, are the cloud providers giving us too much choice? So that's a very good debate. And I had this question, I, I asked them this question. And there, there, are, there are some historical reasons for them having that many machines. It's just that sometimes some were not available at the time they started the cloud and they wanted to continue the series. So you, you should ask yourself, why do... Why does Amazon have Intel machine and AMD machine? Why not only Intel machine or not only AMD machine? Well, because the processors are different. They, the price change, um, the availability may not be the same at the time they're opening data center. So the, the difficulty of the cloud provider to provide enough capacity result in having a lot of different type of machines you can choose from. But there are other reasons, like some machines have better disk access, better network access. Others have a GPU. Some do, some others don't. So there, there is a lot of need from us as developers um, to have access to a vast amount of, of choices. So I think we did the right thing for this. Um, and it, I, I mentioned Amazon, but Google and Azure are the same, right? They, they provide a lot of choices from the, for the user because they do know that prices are different, availability is different, and the need are different. And these machines have different profile, compute profiles, in memory as well. Network memory disk, uh, IOs, like there is a lot of different parameters you can, you can use. Uh, so that's one aspect. The other aspect is, yes, they don't make it easy for you to optimize your cost. But I don't blame them. I mean, these are very well-managed companies. In particular, Amazon is. Right? So why would they make it easy for their client to optimize? They don't make it particularly difficult, but it's just that the, the vast amount of choice, the easiness to add a new VM is so great that it results in this, this waste that you that you can see again they're not doing this on purpose i think they're not making it easy to solve because they are running their business very nicely but they start to realize this uh, like we have some discussions at all of these three hyperscaler and they're not bad people they they know they realize they're embarrassed sometimes yeah i mean our users are not really using this infrastructure the best way they could on the other hand because they're well-managed companies they benefit from it um clearly, right, from a, a revenue and a profit perspective. And so that's why we, we work very nicely with them. It's a very nice, uh, I, don't, I don't want to say it's a, it's a partnership, it's, that will not be great, but it's, we coexist very nicely and we understand each other's need and benefit 
uh, very nicely, at least on our side, uh, yeah. to the cloud providers. No, that makes complete sense. And one that I wanted to just go back a couple of steps because you talked about Kubernetes about four or five minutes ago. And what I want to ask is why Kubernetes is so important. I mean, Cast AI is a great example. Why is Kubernetes so important to you when we're talking about cost optimization? So the good thing, the great thing of Kubernetes is that it makes application very easy to scale. That's why we all love it. Um, we all love this container idea. Kubernetes happens to be the container orchestration that won the battle. There were others that were doing this, including Amazon had its own called ECS. Okay, today Kubernetes is a clear winner. Um, and, and frankly, Google did a very great job to open source it and to run this through the CNCF. So they yeah. open source organization. So Kubernetes is the winner of containers orchestration. But the reason why we like it is because the containers give so much flexibility in scaling up and scaling down applications. You see, there's, there's this benefit from scalability. There are other benefits from a cybersecurity standpoint uh, to have encapsulated kind of independent microservices. But the, the fundamental idea was, hey, if I break my app into small pieces, let's call them microservices. So it's a small service. Let's make, uh, if we can call these entities containers and are able to duplicate them if you grow or delete them if you shrink and do this in real time over time, then effectively you are building very, very scalable applications that are self-organizing themselves, right? They are, they are adding more containers when they feel that they need to add more. They are reducing the amount of containers when you feel, when the application uh, decide that it doesn't need that many. And this process is a fully automated process. The good thing with this too is that you can update a container without changing anything else. So these are really encapsulated services that are independent from each other. So imagine that you're doing a, a new version of a small piece of your app. You can actually redeploy only that piece. And not meaning you only change the, these containers, but you don't change the others. And you can even do this while everything is running in production with no difference for the end user. So that's what Kubernetes containers is a great, great thing. The problem of that is anything that is great is complex to manage or becomes potentially complex to manage because suddenly it's not a monolithic app that you have on, on a few servers. It's hundreds or even thousands. We have a client that have 30,000 uh, of these containers working on one application. Um, <laughs> The largest app we have is uh, of a client is around 200. It's, a, it's an app that uses 100,000 100, CPUs, all containerized. And they move from 30,000 CPUs to 100,000 CPUs during the day. That's just how big that thing can scale uh, vertically very, very fast over 24 hours. So it's, it's, it works really nicely, but the management of it is difficult. And I'll tell you why. You see, you see an example. Uh, it's, it's easy to visualize. Imagine that you have um, 10 VMs on which this application run, and you have 100 containers. And you just deploy the containers on 10 VM. Most of the time, what Kubernetes would do is it would spread equally these 100 containers over the 10 VMs. So each VM will receive 10 containers each. You have 10 VMs. That means you get the 100 containers. So the VMs are well, it's called a node in Kubernetes work, but these are VMs. 
virtual machine. So the VMs are quite busy. Everything is good. You have 10, 10 containers for each machine. But I think that now the night comes. And so you have less users using this app. And Kubernetes uh, management uh, orchestration decide, oh, I don't, need I don't need 100 containers. I just need 60. And I don't need all of them anymore. OK, fine. So 40 of these 100 containers will disappear, and you'll just get 60 remaining. But the same thing, where do you delete them? Well, Kubernetes will delete them in a very even and fair way. That means each VM only have six containers instead of 10. The problem with this is, well, if they were, whole, if they were fully busy with 10 containers and now they have six only, you can start to see the waste here. Like you have around 40% of your CPUs on these VMs that are absolutely not used. What do you do about it? Nothing. It's, it's hard to do this. It's hard to scale down your 10 machine into eight machine because suddenly you only use them 60% of the time. That's the thing that we saw. What we do is we are, we're going to do a new bin packing. We will remove and shift over these containers. We will pack them in, in eight machines instead of 10. And then we will delete the two machines that you don't use. So that's, that's uh, some of these techniques. What I describe in English seems to be easy. I can understand. Oh, yeah, I, I go from 10 to 8. I move containers of machine 1 and machine 2 into the others. And then I can delete machine 1 and machine 2. Yeah, imagine that you have to do this every 15 seconds. <laughs> and it's never the same. Like sometimes you go from 100 to 60 containers. All the time, it's from 100 to 95. Or maybe it's from 95 to 20. And in five minutes, it goes back to 100. And so that's the thing that we saw. We built this engine that is reactive enough, that is able to understand instantly, hey, what it is that you're doing? How many of these do you have? What's your capacity? Looking at, can you reduce it? Can you increase it? And do it automatically as required whenever it's necessary. This is where AI or machine learning is great because it is, it is able to make these decisions very fast. And it is able to instruct the hyperscaler, the cloud provider, to add and delete compute resources as required. So Very long explanation. So, <laughs> say again. It's a long explanation. Sorry about that. No, no, it's perfect. It's exactly what I was looking for. So you just said, you know, that's why AI ML uh, benefit when they work hand in hand with Kubernetes. And I know that you was even talking about artificial intelligence before we knew what it was. So you've been in this game for a long time, but what I'd want to know from someone like yourself, Laurent, is what are the, if any, the limitations in artificial intelligence and machine learning? Yeah, uh, so uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great question. Um, you know, we actually stopped talking about AI and using these words because it becomes mainstream. It's just one technique we use that um, is able to solve problems that are hard to explain and hard to understand. So that's where your AI is usually is, is useful. It's when you are not able to mathematically understand all the variables that comes into place to make a decision. So it's a f when you have fuzzy logic like this, usually it's a good clue that uh, tells you that machine learning techniques will help you because they are able to learn something that is not very well defined and make sense of, of the chaos like this. Um, I, I think uh, we, we don't use the word AI anymore, even though it's 
our company is called Cast.ai. We don't use this AI word anymore because it's it's mainstream. It's just one of the techniques that help us solve complex problem, non non-linear complex problem that otherwise would be very hard to solve with heuristics or with determinist uh, mathematical equations. Uh, so yeah, that, that's just a means to the end in, in this case. It's a great one. There will be others, there will be more versions of it uh, or a smarter way of, uh, of using it. Um, uh, uh, so I, I think it's um, it stopped stop to be a matter of discussion as it becomes more mainstream and normal and usual. Um, you know, 10 years ago, you would do something else. Right now, you have these techniques available, therefore you use them. And in a few years' time, there will be others um, still using the same principle, but much more powerful, and, and life go on like this. So, cool. so it's, it it's, something not, else. <laughs> it's not special. <laughs> yeah. It's very true. And you know, when you talk about making a, a, th a phrase or a word mainstream, you're talking to a DevOps recruiter, and there's no more mainstream word in the world than DevOps at the moment. <laughs> Yes, that's true. That's true. Talking of recruitment, talking of you know uh, building up Cast AI, which is obviously you know not your first startup. I know that you've got um, a big engineering team in. Is it Lithuania? It's in Lithuania. Yep, Vilnius. Yeah. So, what's your experience of uh, finding software talent in Lithuania? Yeah, that's a great question. So, yeah, we have about I think forty developers in uh, Vilnius. Um, one thing that is very important for us is the following. We are more of a European company as we are an American company in that sense. We only have one office. It's in Vilnius, Lithuania. The rest are all we work from home. Uh, sales, marketing don't need to be in one place. We invent our IP in Vilnius. So it's not that we use Vilnius because it's inexpensive or convenient. It's actually where the inventions are made and where the core IP and the core team is developing. Um, we've, we've done the same for my other startups. We were using, we were in Ukraine before. We, we hire a lot of people from Ukraine, by the way, and I encourage a lot of, I encourage all many, many startups or, or tech companies to do this. Incredibly talented people in Kiev. We know so many of them, and we hired as many as we could. Um, these, these developers in, Lithuania and Ukraine are amazing. And, you know, sometimes we realize, oh, it's a small country. It's about, I think, a few, few million, I think three or four million, 3.5 million people in Lithuania. But the amount of talent that we see in Vilnius is amazing, incredible. The, this is why the company is there. This is where the IP is created. The, the talent of engineers that we find in Europe, in, in Lithuania in particular, is, is amazing. So yeah, the company is there, the inventions are made there, the magic happens every day in, uh, in our office. And I, I love when I, I go there, I couldn't go much during COVID. I'm excited because I'm going there next week. Um, this is a fantastic team uh, that, that you, you have over there. And by the way, there's no difference in the vibe of that team, whether the team would be in Silicon Valley or in Vilnius, it is the same thing. It's the same culture, it's the same way of working, the same friendliness, it's the same excitement when something new is coming. Um, yeah, there's, there's, it's a nice time to be to be over there. 
Is there uh, some like really solid tech schools producing this talent in the area? Is that why there's so much talent there? Or is it just a, a great community of fostering people that want to work on cool tech? I think it's a combination of these two things. There are amazing schools uh, for, for software development, software developers, engineers, and it's the community. Like, there's a very strong vibe. If you go to Vineyards and you go to a coffee in the in the old city and you ask, what are you doing? You'll see very often, I'm a software developer. And uh, so that's a culture that the country uh, ha have developed. And it's, it's quite famous for uh, right now. There, there are a lot of great companies in, uh, in Vineyards, great startups. We're not the only one. And so, yeah, the community is there. The community is very strong, very solid. Um, everybody speaks English. There is, it's very international, very cosmopolitan. Cosmopolitan. Uh, so it's, a, it, it, it's, it's, you know, it's interesting. It's something you would have expected in London or Berlin, mm -hmm. um, maybe Paris in some way, um, and you can find in in Vilnius. Yeah, like if you I go love that. And you listen to people, you'll probably hear a few words in German and English uh, in the conversation. Um, it's very international. Oh, so it's becoming a, a very much a multicultural and multi-society place as well. Yeah, yeah. And I think tech is, tech is probably one big reason for it. Yeah, absolutely. So talking of location, sticking on this theme, you, I know you're in California, you're over on the West right now, but uh, you said you're from or you live in Miami? I live in Miami, yep. Okay, so this is an interesting question, and this is something that I've probably asked about half a dozen people before you, but I'd love to hear your take on it. Why is the East Coast such a brilliant place for tech uh, startups? So uh, I'll tell you my view there, my selfish view. It's because of the time zone. Um, here's the good thing of uh, living in the US East Coast. You can work with Europe in your early morning and you can work with the entire US um, because of the time difference with the West Coast. Um, like I tried to do this from California, it's impossible. Like I can't wake up at 5 a.m. every day. That doesn't work for me. But uh, in the East Coast, it, you can do this. So I would never go in any other place but the East Coast, especially when the company is ramping up sales. So when you have your product market fit, um, you, you wanna be able to go into all these markets and for me, the East Coast is the best place. And then Miami, like if once you've been to Miami, you can't leave Miami. It's just, you know, there's no snow. You, you can go to there, it's always sunny almost of every day. Whether you are in January, oh uh, yes, August is not as good. And September is really, really hot and humid. But the, um, the quality of life, the weather, um, you can go outside anytime you want. You don't need a coat. Like I haven't wear a coat for so long. <laughs> so yeah, I really like Miami for this. It's a very, very nice place to live. And there is a very nice tech vibe, especially in downtown in the center of Miami. They're building this huge skyscraper in Brickle. So it's, it's a nice place to live right now. But, but, but my first point is it's a nice place to live and it's on the East Coast. Yeah. I think that's the key. Yeah. The, the time zone, I, I completely, completely understand the time zone piece. Yeah. Definitely. So, Laurent, this has been so interesting and I could talk to you for hours, but we have to end it somewhere. And I do have one final question for you. Uh, we've learned a lot about Cast AI. I certainly have from doing my research as well. But what can we expect to see from you guys over the next 12 months? Oh, 
it's going to be really cool. Um, we just released our product for Azure. So uh, we have, we have, so we, we now can reduce your cost on AWS anytime you want on Google Cloud as well. I'm very excited with Azure because it's a very heavy enterprise cloud. So very large companies are on Azure. And usually Kubernetes is considered very high tech and more complex than other techniques for cloud native application. So I really look forward to it because here you have the opportunity to shake a little bit the enterprise, the enterprise way of doing things by showing that, yeah, you can be nimble, you can use these super modern techniques and they actually will benefit you uh, from an efficiency perspective. So I'm super excited with this. But they are, we, I think we're only scratching the surface of cost optimization. And again, I'm not talking of cost reporting. That's easy. You know, showing where you spend money is simple. Knowing what to do about it is difficult. And making it automated is the 10x more complicated than anything else. Right? So there are so many opportunities. One of, one of, the, one of these opportunities I'm looking for are the serverless functions, Amazon call it Lambda. Mm. Um, I'm going to drop this number. Um, we made a, we look at what is the true margin of AWS to run Lambda. And if you run a function, Lambda function, so serverless application on your own, and you compare this with doing the same on Lambda, it costs you 1.8 times more to use Lambda as opposed as doing it yourself, 1.8 times more. So in fact, what that means is the cloud providers are giving you these new techniques called serverless functions, but they actually are making you paying for the convenience of using it. And you're paying essentially one CPU, 1.8 times more than uh, on, on Lambda compared to you doing it yourself. It's very difficult to do it yourself, but if you can make it easy, then you can see this pocket of optimization that are still in front of us. And this is just uh, the beginning of it. Um, think of storage as another option. Think of egress as another another place where, where organizations spend a lot of money with almost no other choice but paying the cloud provider. And again, it's not that cloud providers are doing it on purpose, they're just well managed. And they, they know that they have to do something. They will do it whenever they need it. But they are managing this very, very well. You can tell from their revenues and profit. So yeah, I think I think uh, there are a lot of optimization you can continue to have. The most interesting piece of all this is we are making cloud use or cloud usage completely autonomous from that perspective. And that really is what we do, right? We we simply simplify so much managing applications on any cloud provider that they become self-manageable. That's why I use the word autonomous. As a developer, do you really care how many machines you use? No, you only care that your application must run, must run well, must run with good performance with a lot of users that can use it. Anything else than that, the machine can handle. So we are making the use of the cloud fully autonomous by simplifying a lot the manual task of the DevOps function and making this application self-manage from 
the side of using infrastructure on which they run, or for managing the infrastructure on which they run. So that's what we do. And uh, yeah, the sky is the limit. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in the next one. And by the way, we're not the only one doing this. And the more we are, the better it is. So um, it's, it's a fantastic field. There are a lot of other colleagues, including from the cloud providers, that are thinking about it. And uh, I think the world will be a better place when you commoditize, when you succeed to commoditize these techniques so that you don't need to think anymore what machine you use as long as the application works nicely. So that's the goal we have. So from doing deals at KubeCon to shaking up the enterprise, this has been such an interesting conversation. And again, I appreciate you jumping on at probably about, what, I don't know, seven or eight o'clock in the morning for you right now? It's okay. No, it's fine. Something like that. Well, <laughs> Laura, look, thank you so much. If anybody wants to get in touch with you and drop you a message, how's the best to get hold of you? Um, so my name is Laurent. It's L-A-U-R-E-N-T. And my email is laurent at cast.ai. So it's easy. Can Fantastic. Uh, anytime you want. Yep. Look forward Fantastic. to it. Well, look, best of luck with everything uh, and with rounding off KubeCon as well. Um, get back to your favorite spot of Miami soon. Hopefully, I'll be able to see you down there. Uh, plenty of Brits over there, I know, enjoying the weather. But enjoy the rest of your day, Laurent, and thanks so much for jumping on. Thank you, Joe. Cheers. Bye. Yep. Bye. <laughs>